We all know that climate change is one of the biggest issues we need to tackle. Fortunately, tech industry has a lot to offer to solve some of these challenges. And in this episode of Code Story, we are going to have multiple guests. Let's get started. I'm currently at Microsoft office in Denmark. Ideally, I would have had everyone here with me, but because of this current situation, I need to meet them all via Teams call. Let's start by having a conversation with Hampus Jacobson. My name is Hampus Jacobson. I am a general partner and one of the founders of Pebodot. And Pebodot is a climate tech venture fund. And what we mean by that is we only invest in companies driving climate change in the right direction. At the same time as we're a completely normal fund, we invest in companies that are going to be billion dollar companies. We invest in companies that can grow quickly, all of that normal stuff that venture funds do, but we only do it within things that are climate. And the reason we want to do this is when we want to be able to deploy the most amount of money into moving climate change into the right direction. So to dive a little bit into the climate change issues with your knowledge of business and climate change, how does this impact the way of doing business? As a big company, I think that you have optimized your current ways and you've set something and you're working with operational excellence. That's why you run the world and you're the biggest company in that era. The problem is like when change comes along, it either is new behaviors that you have to work with, like new consumer behaviors or new customer demands, or it is new opportunities that you can use new technology. Climate change is both, right? When you're a big company, it's very, very hard to address these with your business as usual models. So essentially, we see that there are only three ways of handling that if you're a big company. Either you start collaborating directly with startups and you try to find the best in breed that are helping with that issue and collaborate with them closely. Or um, you start a startup, like people from the company says, hey, I want to go and leave and do this thing in a better right way. Or the thirdly, you actually create some way for uh, employees to get out of their bubble and start thinking new ways. And that might be hackathons or other ways. If you were a young person aware of these changes ahead, what would you do? I think the first thing I would do is I would really try to get perfection out of the picture. Because I think there, there's a very big risk where you think that you need to become something that you're not. Like you need to reschool yourself and become a nuclear scientist or an energy optimization person or something. I think that it's just as it's been in every single era. You need to do what you're really, really good at. I think the biggest difference is you should come in with a mindset of saying, how is this viable and possible year 2040? Like if this is a thing that you think might be a thing that's going to disappear, you will not do it. So if you just think about it, forest fires are going to increase, we're going to need to create more energy, we need to create more food, we need to use less land. If you start to think about those problems, a lot of those problems are problems there, software people can handle them, right? But you shouldn't go in and be afraid that you're going to do 1% bad and 99% good and not do it. Because I think that is the most common issue for people who come into the climate scene. They're very, very afraid of not being perfect. Thanks, Ampus. This is really good advice. As Hampus mentioned, hackathons are a really good way to give chance to employees and students to get out of their bubbles and create innovative solutions. In March 2021, we organized Climate Hackathon. The goal of this hackathon 
was to raise awareness about climate change and at the same time create a platform for developer community to create innovative solutions to solve some of these challenges. What made this hackathon unique was the collaboration with non-profit and non-governmental organizations that have an important role to play, but at the same time, they might not have enough tech competencies or resources to solve these challenges. They provided real-life challenge for the participant to solve and these challenges were defined in four categories. I'm going to talk to Matteo Yuker Riva, who is one of the participants of this climate hackathon. He's going to tell us about the project that he and his team worked on. Hi Matteo, thank you for joining us. Hi Sherry, and thanks for inviting me. Can you tell me a little bit about the solution that you and your team came up with? During the Hack the Climate, uh, I was immediately excited uh, to see the request from the Cool Farm Alliance. Uh, they wanted uh, something that could help farmers uh, estimate their carbon emissions and value uh, the, what they are doing in terms of mitigating climate change. And ever since I first saw uh, satellite images, I always thought that there's a lot that we can do with satellite images and uh, AI to help farmers and help better manage our environment. Uh, so we built uh, an app that allows to estimate how much carbon uh, that is stored in the soil and in the vegetation of farms, and we call that Land Probe. That sounds super interesting, but can you explain how does it work? Of course. So when a user access Land Pro, he or she can select the area of interest. For example, uh, this is the farm of my father in Italy. Then we get the satellite images that are more relevant for that area. And we use a deep learning model to differentiate different types of land cover. After that, we use shortwave infrared to calculate how much carbon there is stored in the soil and near infrared to calculate how much carbon is stored in the vegetation. This information is then returned to the user in a simple way through the web interface. Can you tell me a bit about what your architecture look like for Land Pro? Uh, so the front end is based on React and Azure Maps. There the user can select the area. Then the area information is encoded in a GeoJSON and sent to the backend. Uh, the backend uh, uses a cloud service to select the best uh, Sentinel-2 images for that area. Uh, Sentinel-2 is the new satellite for Earth observation that is available since uh, a few years and is uh, higher resolution, higher temporal resolution. So it's setting the, the new standard that is the new thing in uh, Earth observation. These images pass through a UNET semantic segmentation model based on TensorFlow. And then we use uh, several libraries to calculate our metrics and deal with the image processing. There is NumPy for the calculations, uh, there is OpenCV for uh, the image processing, but then there are also specialized libraries for geographic data that are like GIDA and Raster.io. Once the calculations are complete, the information is encoded again into a GeoJSON and transferred to the front end where the user can access it in a visual form. Can you tell me about your biggest challenge you encountered in developing your application? 
Actually, the most crucial part of this program is being able to distinguish different types of land cover so that our metrics could be accurate enough. For that, we had to train a, a well-known model, uh, the UNET um, uh, semantic segmentation model for our particular type of images. Fortunately, there are lots of data sets that are available for this task. Uh, one of them is called the Land Cover Net, and it allowed us to train the model. Uh, this took us one and a half days of the uh, five days of the hackathon. Uh, but after that, we could easily distinguish different types of land cover and produce more accurate matrix for the user. I know you haven't stopped working since the hackathon. Can you tell me about what happened after and what your future plan look like? Yes, uh, it was a very big surprise for us uh, to be awarded second place at the hackathon. And after that, we received a lot of good feedbacks about our idea and our program. So we decided to continue. LandPro is now a startup in a pre-accelerator program, and we are looking forward to improving uh, also the technical side. In particular, we look forward to use the planetary computer by Microsoft. It's a cloud-based hub where we can access uh, an enormous amount of different types of satellites, and we can combine this with weather data, climatic data, and uh, all other types of information that would uh, help us improve our services. Thank you very much, Matteo, and good luck in your journey. LandPro is a great example of how events like Climate Hackathon can spark and facilitate innovations. But as I mentioned to you earlier, we had many more great solutions out of this hackathon. Another person I know works daily with green technology is Asim Hussain. Uh, my name is Asim Hussain. I'm what's called a green cloud advocacy lead at Microsoft. And, and my job is about figuring out how can you actually build green applications? What is a green application? Um, there's a bunch of things that we've done already. One of the things that I'd recommend people going out to, to visit is a site called principles.green, which is a list of uh, core principles which you can use if you're a software engineer to build greener applications. How do you think developers can become better on building greener software applications? It's a great question and it's actually a new field of computing that is forming right now. We're calling it green software engineering. And recently I'm really excited to announce that we've actually formed a green software foundation and one of the goals of the foundation is to help grow the field of green software engineering. We've got, it's a nonprofit that's managed by the Linux Foundation. We've got several founding members, including Microsoft, Accenture, ThoughtWorks, GitHub, as well as Goldman Sachs and the nonprofits, What Time, Leaders for Climate Action, and the Green Web Foundation. And if you head to the website, greensoftware.foundation, you'll find more information about us and, and what we're doing. And you can sign up to our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news on green software engineering. With your insights, what are the areas we need to prioritize to reach our goals for solving these climate challenges? We know what we need to do to solve for the 2030 goals that we've got in front of us. And technology and software is a large part to play in helping us meet those goals. But technology by itself has always been about making work more efficient. What we need to do moving forward is to start thinking about making our applications carbon efficient. 
That means for the same amount of work, we are emitting less carbon. That's really the goal of technologists and technology moving forward. Thank you, Asim, for these valuable insights. Let's get back to Hampus to find out how can we develop solutions that meet these criteria. Let me rewind a little bit here. I read an article you wrote about climate first. Can you explain what you mean? You remember back in 2008, you had these tiny little mobile phones and you there were certain things you just couldn't do with them. Like you couldn't book a trip, you couldn't plan anything because the screen was just tiny. And it was impossible to do. And as soon as you need to do those tasks, you went to a desktop, you went to a big ass screen and you're able to do whatever you want there. And then suddenly they came these players who essentially took this and they built mobile apps or mobile web pages, but they made them better. They made them better, better of course than this because it was tiny, but they also made them better than desktop. And we know that today because like when you order food or book a trip or whatever, you're gonna do it mobile, not because you have it in your pocket, but because it's better. What was the thing about those companies when they came out, they were mobile first. They used the fact that you had to think about the core use case. They had to leverage what the mobile phone can do and make it better than a desktop was, because otherwise they couldn't be encumbrance. What we see is we see climate first startups. And a climate first startup is somebody who says, let's look at the limitations we have. We want to use as little material as we can, or we want to have last mile that isn't fossil free or whatever it is. Something that the encumbrance thinks it's impossible to squeeze in and they just want to go to a desktop and do something different there. But instead of making this a problem, you make it an opportunity. Climate first startups are somebody that looks at the climate challenge and they leverage it. They don't see it as less, they see it as better. I really hope this episode inspired you to realize as a developer, you have a very important role to play to reduce carbon emissions. If you want to learn more about sustainable software engineering, please check the link below. And remember, as Hampus mentioned, nobody is perfect and neither are the solutions. But if we all work together, we can create solutions that solve this big issue that impacts every single one of us.